Amen. I just want to just commend you for your giving on that Super Tuesday. I think over $12,000 was raised, and so some of it went to India, some went to Africa. Listen, it is exciting to be helping people in need. And this past Thursday, all the volunteers that helped put together these amazing food hampers, as I was leaving the building Thursday, over 100 people streamed in here and received uh, gifts of food for uh, the Christmas season. So thank you for ministering to people in need in this time. Amen? I think that's a great thing. Bless you guys for doing that. That's, I, I'm going to commend us uh, for doing that as a church family. And then I want to mention, um, you may not realize this, but with the new restrictions, uh, there was a limitation placed on how many people can be actually be in the sanctuary. So we quickly did a number of things, and one of them is we ended up adding a fourth Christmas Eve service. And so there's another one to sign up to. It's at 7.15. They're about an hour long, these services. So here's what you need to know. If you don't go quickly and sign up, you might not be able to be here live and in person. How's that? So, it, I mean, services two and three are almost full. There's a few uh, places remaining. But uh, please quickly sign up for those Christmas Eve services. And, um, and if, if it gets too full, maybe we'll figure out some overflow accommodation. I don't, we haven't, we've talked about it, but at this stage, just, you know, we added a fourth service. How's that? Because I knew most of you wanted to be in here. Isn't that true? So we're trying to accommodate that. Yeah, amen. Okay, why don't we stand one more time? We're going to go to the Lord in prayer. We're going to go to the word of the Lord. So Father, I just thank you this morning. Just, I, I just want to thank you for the privilege that we have to be able to meet together and to have the capacity to stream services, Lord, not only it, to our congregation in Red Deer, but I know that the streaming is going way beyond uh, our community, Father, and we're getting responses back from uh, different parts of our world, different parts of our country, different parts of the United States. And Lord, I just thank you for that privilege of being able to communicate uh, uh, worship and singing and praise and uh, just the word of the Lord, Father. And I just pray right now as we're listening that we will hear the voice of the Spirit of the living God speaking into our innermost being and that this word will be a living word to us and, and we'll respond by faith. We're gonna see supernatural things happen in our lives. And Lord, I pray to that end that that will occur. I pray, Father, that people will experience miracles in their life as a result of today. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. Amen, you may be seated. Daryl Bach challenges us by stating, for the announcement of Jesus' birth um, shows that wonderful things come in surprising packages. God does not always do things the way we would do them. How many go, that's probably true. God doesn't always do the things the way we would actually do them. I think that's really an understatement. Matter of fact, I would even say God often, often surprises us and chooses surprising people to accomplish his purposes. And that's the, the truth of the matter. You know, think about that first Christmas season. You know, if you're for your God, how are you going to invade the planet? You know, you'd think he would probably go to Rome, you know, or at least to Jerusalem. But what does he do? He, he actually announces what he's about to do, sends an angel to a small little village in a provincial backwater country, as far as the Roman Empire is concerned, 
to a little town called Nazareth. By the way, Nazareth today was not what it was like back in the first century. It was just like a little hick town. As a matter of fact, it was notorious for nothing of any significance coming from the community. How's that? You know, probably the most obscure. Nobody would have picked that town. And God sends an angel. It actually had a poor reputation to an ordinary teenage girl. And, you know, sometimes we look at Mary and, you know, we have honored her, which I think is right. We should honor her. But you know what? When God picked her, it was, as we're going to see, it wasn't because she had done something correctly. I know that goes against some people's theology, but that's the truth. She was an ordinary teenage girl. And I think what's really amazing is what we're going to look at today is her response. And I believe we can learn from Mary and make a similar response. When God asks us to do something that's difficult, My question is, what will we do? Isn't that true? You think God could sometimes ask difficult things of us? I think he can. You know, look at what he did for us. And I I think the issue is, will we respond in obedience to him? I think we need to understand that obedience is God's essence of what faith really is. Matter of fact, I've entitled the sermon Mountain Moving Faith. But I think when a lot of people talk about mountain moving faith, I think it's something that we think we got to conjure up. But that's not the case at all. You know what it really is? Mountain-moving faith is responding in obedience to what God is speaking into your life. That's mountain-moving faith. Because when we do what God asks us to do, amazing things begin to happen. I believe miracles flow from that. So faith is really acting on what God reveals to us. And so I want to review this moment in history all over again and look at the angels meeting with Mary and her response And it's a faith that comes from actually hearing God's word and responding in obedience to what God says. Because an angel is simply a messenger. And however we hear this message, when we hear it with a faith in our heart to the message that's being conveyed, something profound happens to us. When Mary said yes to God's purposes for her life, she began a journey that would not only bring great joy to her heart and great honor to her life, but also, I believe, great pain and great misunderstanding. Isn't that interesting? There's good and there's difficult, and it happens in the same situation. What's true of Mary is also true of our lives. The greatest things are often the most challenging things. That doesn't just happen to a few people. I believe every Christian is faced with the same choice that Mary was faced with when God speaks into our lives. You see, God has a plan for us. For each one of us. And God will put before us times of incredible challenge. Anybody relate to that right now? Is this an incredible moment of challenge? How are we going to respond to these things? You know, we can either choose to embrace what God is calling us to, or we can allow fear to keep us in a state of spiritual underdevelopment. And I think a lot of times Christians just back away from the challenge that God is bringing into their lives. Now, I'm going to just make an interesting observation, and I think this is so biblical, that God's appointments to to spiritual service generally goes to obscure and unknown people. That's an interesting thought. And you say, well, why, why would you say that, Pastor? Why would God just use people like you and I, just ordinary, you know, maybe obscure type of people? Well, because the Apostle Paul tells us this. 
As a matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 26, he says, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. In other words, before you became a Christian, who were you? He said, not many of you were wise by human standards and not many were influential. Not many of you were of noble birth. What is he telling us there? He said, no, no, you guys were just ordinary people. You guys, a lot of them were slaves. A lot of them were obscure people. A lot of them, we don't even know their names today. They didn't, in our thinking, do you know, what we consider great things. But did they not do great things? Of course they did. They literally changed the whole world in which they were living in. Matter of fact, God says, but he chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. So what does God like to do? He likes to choose the, the weak and he likes to choose the foolish. Anybody qualify? Anybody think, well, you know, I think I, think I probably qualify maybe in one of those two categories. You know, then he goes on, God chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one can boast before him. God has a reason. You see, it's never been about us. And you know, in our whole culture, the messaging today is about human beings. It's about, you know, how great we are and what we can actually do and how great potential we are, and on and on and on. And pretty soon people are so elevated and puffed up and full of themselves. It's amazing how unhealthy that really becomes. You have a lot of prima donnas running around on the planet today. Isn't that true? You know, we have very few people that understand what God is really trying to require of us. He says, uh, as a matter of fact, so that no one may boast before him. Isn't that an interesting statement? At the end of the day, there's not one of us that can walk around and say, God, look how great I am. It's not about us. It's not about what we've accomplished or what we've done. As a matter of fact, I'm going to argue that it's actually what God's done. As a matter of fact, when uh, after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, remember the story that apostles went out and miracles started happening, and they were starting to preach the good news that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, and they were so courageous, they even said, listen, you know, our rulers were deceived, and they crucified God. How many think that took a little courage to say that kind of stuff? They kind of got them into trouble. As a matter of fact, they were hauled before the Sanhedrin, and they were warned not to preach and teach in the name of Jesus, and they said, listen, we have to obey God rather than man. And here's what we notice. When they saw the courage, Acts 4.13, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. Isn't that beautiful? These guys didn't have a great education. They were just fishermen. They were Galileans. They were kind of looked down upon anyways. And they said they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. And so the defining remark that stands out in my mind is the fact that Peter and John had been with Jesus, and people recognized that, and they recognized that what was happening in and through their lives was the result of their relationship with Christ. Because apart from Christ, they couldn't do any of the things that they were doing. The amazing miracles that were happening were happening because Christ was now living within them. That's why it was happening. And so, you know, our lives should be there like their lives. As a matter of fact, I'm going to argue today your life is more like Peter and John than you realize. You've had the similar experiences. You've had the same spirit come inside of you. you. You have a power inside of you that's a resurrection power, that there's something dynamic about our ordinary lives, but it's not so much us. It's what's going on inside of us. The treasure is inside of us. It's God dwelling inside of us and what God wants to do in and through our lives, but we have to be like Mary, willing 
to do what God's asking each and every one of us to do. And I'm going to take a look at three elements as it relates to God's calling in our lives. And first of all, it's determined by our response. What's our reaction to a great challenge? You know, sometimes we shrink back. Isn't that true? A lot of times we say, sign somebody else up. I'm not doing it, you know? You know, like Moses, here am I, send Aaron. <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't want to do that. I mean, we, we want to pull back from these things. For others, it may feel like it's really exhilarating, but you know, it can also be very disturbing. For many, fear and anxiety arises. How can I do this? What if I fail? Maybe the question is simply, why would God choose me, right? Who am I that God would choose me? Uh, or maybe, now what am I supposed to do? And the same thing could be said for Mary, young, seemingly insignificant person in the small town in Galilee, and you may, you may feel the same way. Why is God choosing me? Why did God even reveal himself to me? But as we turn the pages of our Bible, we notice an interesting turn of events. Because I think a lot of us as Christians, maybe we feel like our lives are stagnant or they're ho-hum, but God doesn't want them to be like that. God wants our lives to be used in a very amazing way. And so he zeroes in at a very obscure person to hand out a major assignment. Her name is Mary. And I wonder what Gabriel, this is an angel that's in the presence of God. And so God speaks to this angel, Gabriel, says, oh, by the way, Gabriel, I want to send you on a message to Nazareth to talk to this teenage girl. Can you imagine Gabriel's response? I don't know. I have an imagination. You know, Gabriel, you're going to the little town called Nazareth to a young woman named Mary. Did I hear you right, Lord? Uh, I thought we were looking for the big, the best, and the obvious, right? Isn't that kind of how human thinking is? But, you know, maybe the angels are smarter than us. They don't question God. You know, God sees things we don't see. God sees the human heart. So many of God's heroes are people who don't see themselves as heroes. You know what? I don't think most of us in this room would probably see ourselves as heroes. But I'm going to tell you a little secret. If you've got God living inside of you, it's amazing what God can do in and through you. You know, people might see you differently. I want to point out, these are just ordinary people. Let's pick up the story in Luke chapter 1. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Huh. You know what? what? What troubled her was the words that the angel said. You know what probably troubled her? You who are highly favored. You know, most of us don't see ourselves that way, do we? Do you see yourself as a highly favored person? I want to encourage you today. You know, if God has come to you, if God has revealed himself to you, do you realize how favored you are? Has anybody thought that way? God has revealed himself to you. That's a highly favored status. And she felt a bit apprehensive. She probably was wondering, too, when he said that you're going to have a child. She probably was thinking, how's this going to happen? You know, I'm engaged to be married, but there's been no activity, no sexual activity here, you know? How is this supposed to come about? That's a pretty good question, right? How many think that might have been the obvious question? It was for her. Uh, and maybe she was thinking, what have I done to merit this honor? And the answer is she had done nothing. And that's my point. 
that oftentimes when you and I are asked to do something, it's not because you and I deserve it. It's not because we've merited it. God just chooses to use different people to do different things. Isn't that an amazing thing? So it's not always about us. You see, I think so often, our pro- why we have a hard time doing things is because we're looking at ourselves. If we stop doing that and start looking to God and saying, hey, you know, God says, I'm choosing you. Instead of saying, why me? We should say, well, I guess God needs somebody. He's, he's looking for somebody who's willing to do it. It's God's love and grace that drives his call in our lives, and that's how God comes to each one of us. It's not so much what we do for him, rather, it's what he does for us. Isn't that beautiful? And it's what he's done for us. He comes to us and chooses us. As a matter of fact, John 15, 16 says, you did not choose me, I chose you, and I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. I tell you, that's a very powerful text of Scripture. You ever ever thought about that? God is saying, I'm picking you. I'm choosing you, and I'm choosing you to bear fruit. I'm going to do something inside of you that's so powerful. Uh, How does God's message of salvation by grace affect you? You may say, well, I don't deserve to be saved. I don't deserve to have my sins forgiven. I don't feel worthy. And I say, that's that's fine. That's true of all of us. None of us are worthy of God's forgiveness. None of us are worthy of God's grace. None of us are worthy of being chosen by God to do things. How many understand that? Let's move away from that for a minute. It's not about us. If you can focus off yourself for a minute and say, wow, I'm just blown away that God would even reveal himself to me. I'm so blown away that God would come and make himself known to me. And then God would speak into my life and choose me to do things and bear fruit. Wow, isn't that an amazing thing? But I think what happens is that we look at ourselves, we look at our sinfulness, we look at our inadequacies, we look at our unloveliness, and we say, why would God choose me? And I'm going, because he chooses the foolish and the weak things of this world, and I qualify. Anybody else qualify then? You know, aren't you glad that the gospel is for sinners? And Paul says, I'm the chief of sinners. That's why God revealed himself to me. That's a powerful thought. Let me uh, just put this, let's put our anxieties to rest. I think a lot of people are anxious. Let's put them to rest. We serve God not to find acceptance, but rather we serve him out of acceptance. You've already been accepted by God. You're not serving him to merit something. You don't do the good thing so that God somehow owes you something. You're serving out of the fact that he loves you. You're his children. He, He died for us. That's the new idea that needs to permeate our heart and mind. I think a lot of times we struggle to respond to God is because we allow past uh, guilt and shame and failure to consume us. It shatters our sense of value. We need to look past who we are and look to who God is and what he wants to do in our lives. In Christ, we are forgiven. In Christ, we are favored. We have an amazing standing before Almighty God. How many think that's neat? I think we have to understand where we're really locked in. We need to have this right understanding of our spiritual identity. We need to accept it. We need to delight in it. We need to enjoy it. I love that. You know, I was at this uh, funeral uh, Friday, and I shared this thought. I said, you know what's really neat in the West, shorter Westminster Confession? It says, the chief aim and purpose of man is to glorify and to enjoy God. I said, you know, a lot of people know and figure it out. We're supposed to glorify God. But how many people can really say, I truly enjoy him? 
I mean, our life should be filled with a sense of enjoyment. And it's not enjoyment because I'm, I'm getting material things. It's not a sense of enjoyment, even though I have meaningful human relationships. I have a great sense of enjoyment because I get to enjoy a person who will never leave me nor forsake me. That even though I could be restricted as a single person to my home, and maybe nobody's there for me on Christmas Day, can I just declare, if you're a child of the living God, you have the most important person in the universe with you. Isn't that an amazing thought? And you and I can enjoy him. I think we need to change our our focus a little bit and say, I'm living to not only glorify God, but I'm here to enjoy you, Lord. I'm here to enjoy you and delight in you. I think that would really help transform us, you know. When God calls, we often need reassurance. Isn't that true? You know, Mary need reassurance. She was a bit troubled by this visitation. I don't think it was so much the supernatural strangeness of the angel. I think it was more what he was saying to her. You know, I don't think most of us, like Mary, feel like we're highly favored. I mean, she was just an ordinary person. How many here feel like I'm a highly favored person? But I think, you know, if we get it right, we think about it biblically, we should walk around going, man, I don't deserve this, but boy, I'm favored. I have the favor of God in my life. You should be walking around saying, I am favored by God. How many can write that into your little mind right now? Please put this down. I'm a highly favored person by God. Isn't that great? How many think that might help your esteem a little bit? Huh? I'm favored by God. He's made himself known to me. Not only that, God's called me to be his, his uh, servant. And I think we need to be reminded that God is with us and he even lives with, inside of us. Uh, you know, I don't think there's any greater privilege on earth than God choosing us. I don't think that's the greatest thing of all. You know, it's like, you know, standing in line to be picked for a team and God walks up and goes, I'm picking you. And you're going, yeah, but God, I'm the worst player in this sport. God goes, yeah, but I'm on your side. We'll win anyways. <laughs> Isn't that great? We're going to win anyways. Matter of fact, you're going to play like you've never played before. I'm going to make you better. Hey, I like that. Remember a number of years ago, Dr. Leith Anderson was preaching in a chapel service and I've never forgotten his message. And he you know, had a real impact on me. And, you know, usually we hear sermons of, you know, we need to learn how to trust God, right? You know, and we challenge each other, learn to trust God. But that morning, his premise was, can God trust us? Can God really trust us? And you know what? I want to say something to Leith this morning and to each one of you. The answer is yes. Okay? Oh, I, I must, did I, did I put this one in? The answer is that he does trust us. He chooses to trust us. Yeah. He trusts us with himself. Do you know the greatest gift you can give a person is the gift of yourself? How many realize that? What has God given us? He's given us himself. He trusts us also with this amazing message of life. He says, guys, I have an amazing task to give you. How many know that uh, it's really empowering when you give people a very significant task? You know, Patty said to me one day, she goes, I don't understand why it is you have so much confidence in your life. And I said, you know, it's interesting, but when I was a little boy, my dad entrusted me with responsibilities way beyond my uh, pay grade. You know what I mean? He would do all kinds of crazy things. You know, like I'm 15, he goes, my dad owned a business. He goes, I'm leaving on vacation, I'm taking the whole family, I'm leaving you behind, you're gonna run the business for two weeks. And gave me instructions how to do it. How many know what he was basically saying is, I trust you. What do you think happens to a person who's been given that kind of trust and responsibility? What do you think that does to that individual? 
You grow into it real fast, and you, you, you feel empowered by that person. Do you know what I think what's happening in our life is God is saying to you and I, I'm entrusting you with some great things. I'm giving you the greatest treasure myself. I'm putting it inside of you, and I'm entrusting you with this amazing message, and you can go out and actually bring life in a world filled with death. How many think that's an empowering thing to do? I think it is. And that's, I think, why God does it. The second element to God's calling is the responsibility of that calling. What does that mean in a practical sense? How do I live this out in a daily life? God's calling is to be lived out daily. We need to begin to wonder how God does what needs to be done, but he does it in and through you and me. And after questioning why would God choose us, we need to move on to how does it get done? What kind of reasons why we, we can move past why it can't happen? Can I tell you something? If God is for you, who can, who can be against you? If God is asking you to do something, do you think God is saying, well, I'm asking you to do something you're incapable of doing? Of course he knows you and I are incapable of doing it. And the, the reason why he asks us, because he plans to do it with us. Woo! I love it. He's not going to leave us out to hang and dry. You know, Mary says, Lord, how will this be? The angel said, you know, uh, she asked the angel, he said, since she said, I'm a virgin. And he said, listen, you know, with God, all things are possible. God can fulfill what he's promised you. God can do what he's asking you to do, you know. But I'll tell you how he's going to do it in your case. He said the, the Holy Spirit is going to overshadow you. Now, I want you to understand something. Every one of us has had Mary's experience That's a child of God. Think about it. An angel comes, which angel means messenger. A messenger speaks into our lives. We hear the word of God, and then the Spirit of God overshadows us and impregnates the word of God in our hearts, and faith arises within us. Isn't that powerful? Wow, I love it. That's how he gets it done. It's the work of the Spirit of God. That to me is so amazing. What does God want to do in us and through us is beyond our abilities. I think the danger is to be satisfied with good things but miss what God really wants to accomplish in our lives. I think a lot of us are satisfied with the good life but not the best life. You say, what do you mean by that, Pastor? I think when we have all the good things of this earth, it dulls us to the best part of life. And that's the great adventure and excitement of walking with God and allowing God to work in and through our lives and give us a deeper sense of meaning and purpose to our lives. You know, you think about just how the church was birthed. And, you know, I've thought a lot about it. I mean, how many people would have probably picked the disciples' people? Jesus picked. Now, you know, you probably wouldn't have picked those guys. You know, you've been going, okay, you know, today they'd be looking at, do they have a Yale degree, a Harvard degree? You know, are they, you know, can they run a big company? Are they CEOs? Do they have, you know, certain IQs? Do they have the experience? I mean, isn't that kind of what people do in our culture today? Isn't that what it's all about? And here's Jesus going, no, I'm going to pick this fisherman, this tax collector over here, you know. I mean, these are no-name, ordinary nobodies. And, you know, he picks them, and he goes, okay, we're going to go out and change the world. I mean, most of us would look at that, and we'd be just like, you've got to be kidding. This is a recipe for disaster. Isn't that true? But guess who's doing it? Do you think it was these individuals or God's spirit inside of them doing it? You see, I had such an epiphany as I was preparing this message this week. I was thinking about the Old Testament. Do you realize that all the things that we think are amazing in the Old Testament, you know, here's Samson, 
you know, forget the gymnasium type of image, okay? This is not Mr. Bionic, you know, like he's lifting weights every day and drinking the jungle juice and, you know, flexing the muscles and looking in the mirror kind of guy. You know, that's not who Samson really is. He's the guy that the Spirit of God comes on and he runs out there and literally, by the power of God's Spirit, destroys the enemies, you know? What he does isn't even natural or normal. It's actually supernatural. How many go that? We, well, we go, yeah, we can see that. You know, how about David? He walks up to this giant, you know, and he comes, you come to me with all of this military might and power, but I come to you in the name of the Lord. He throws his little slingshot, destroys Goliath. Everybody else has been quaking in fear for 40 days, and David comes on the scene. He goes, this guy's defying the name of God. Who's going to take the turkey down? You know what I mean? How many get it? It's the spirit of God inside of David. How does David kill a bear in the lion? It's the spirit of God inside of David. You know, the spirit of God is the one who's activating every one of these Old Testament characters. So the ones that we think are so amazing are people who have been activated by the spirit of God. And here's the good news, that every child of God has been activated by the spirit of the living God. And you and I have this power living inside of our lives right now. And we're walking around going, I don't know if I can do it. And God goes, I know you can't, but I can. As a matter of fact, Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. But it's the spirit of the living God inside of us. And so when we say, yes, Lord, whatever you're asking me to do, I'm going to do it because I believe I'm not doing it alone. I believe your empowering grace is going to give me the strength and the wisdom and the wherewithal to get this job done. Think about building a church. You know, Jesus turns us over to these fishermen. They're building a church, you know. Do you know how complicated a building a church is? It's not ordinary. It's not natural. It requires supernatural powers. It requires an amazing networking of individuals. It requires certain things. But you know what I'm reading in the scriptures? The Holy Spirit comes and he has the gift of administration. And some people are empowered by God to administrate. There's other people powered by God, you know, to, to believe God for miracles, and there are people, and we're seeing miracles all the time, and you go, well, I don't seem to notice miracles. Every person that comes to faith in Christ, that's a miracle. And I'm going to argue right now it's the greatest miracle because it's an eternal miracle. You know? I mean, we could bring a dead body here right now, and they could be raised back to life, but you know, that's, greatest, that's a great miracle. How many say that would be a great miracle? You guys would be awed by that, I'm sure. Wouldn't you? How many here could honestly admit, if we had a dead body here and we just prayed for it, that person came back to life, you'd be a little impressed. Anybody here be a little impressed? Come on, Lyle. Wouldn't that true? But that person would eventually die again. But can I tell you something? Every time someone gives their life to Christ, they have a supernatural encounter with God. Their hearts are opened up and the spirit of the living God comes inside of them. They are raised from the spiritually dead state to eternal life. That's a greater miracle. That's happening all the time. That's amazing to me. So we're walking around seeing God do miracle after miracle. Listen, I've had the joy of walking with God for all of these years, watching miracles and miracles and miracles. Not only people coming to faith in Christ, I've seen people healed of cancer. I've seen all kinds of things. I've seen demons leave people. I've seen the power of God demonstrated in people's lives. God is at work, folks. And for people to forgive each other. I've seen marriages, like literally, they were gone. They were like... They were beyond hope. And all of a sudden, God resurrected their marriages and restored their relationship and restored their families. How many say that's a miracle? Those are miracles, folks. And it changes the whole trajectory of a whole family's life, not only for this generation, but for generations to come. Those are miracles. 
But let me move on to the third element, to God's calling. It's the risk involved. Anything worthwhile in life means that there's a cost involved. Isn't that true? As a matter of fact, think of the price God paid to secure the church. God gave himself for us. Jesus laid down his life for us. Jesus gave us everything he had so you and I could be forgiven. How many say that's amazing? How many say that's a major price? You know, when we talk about salvation and this gift is free, I go, technically, it's not totally free. It's free to us, but it costs God everything. You see, you know, and there's no such thing as freebies. Sorry to tell everybody that. We have a really erroneous thinking in our culture today that somehow money's free. You know, well, the government's going to give us money. They'll just print it. You guys don't understand. Somebody's going to pay for that down the road. You know, what will happen eventually is we'll have such skyrocketing inflation, none of your money will be worth anything. But people don't seem to understand economics. I'm just pointing these things out. What am I trying to say to us? There's no such things as free. Somebody's paying for it. If you get something for free, it's because someone else paid for it. Does everybody get this now? There's no such thing as free. Someone's paying for it. It's costing someone for you to have that for free. And for having this gift of salvation, this gift of forgiveness, this gift of a relationship with God cost God everything. He had to lay down his life and die for us. How many know that if you have children, you'll find out it costs something? How many know it costs something? They can break your heart. Anybody know that? To serve people means you will be misunderstood. It means you will be criticized. Anybody know that? That's what's going to happen. I'm telling you flat out, it comes with the territory. Can you imagine living? I'm going to paint a picture right now. You're living. Let's go back in time. We're all jumping in a time capsule. I'm taking you to Germany right now. Now we're living in Nazi Germany. Can you imagine being a Christian in Nazi Germany? Do you know how hard that was? So here's a guy named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He's a theologian. He's a pastor. He's lived in Spain. He pastored in Spain. He pastored a German congregation in Spain. He pastored a German-speaking congregation in London. He goes back to Germany. The Nazis are in power. He starts an underground, illegal theological center. He's training pastors. Meanwhile, the church is divided. Isn't that interesting? Church is divided. Two-thirds are supporting Hitler. They think he's great. They think he's like the second coming of Jesus. And one-third is saying the guy's crazy, he's uh, anti-Semitic, it's problematic, Bonhoeffer speaking against it. Meanwhile, these pastors that are being trained are being conscripted, put into the German army. Bonhoeffer makes a very interesting decision. You know what he does? He enjoy, His brother-in-law was in the military intelligence. Bonhoeffer joins the military intelligence. Now, why did he do that? Because he want, because. He's trying to stop Nazism as a double agent. How many think that's a little scary? But everybody now thinks he's gone over to the evil empire. Could you imagine living a Bonhoeffer's life right now? Can you imagine what it's like? Everybody's misunderstanding. He's, he's for the good side, but everyone thinks he's for the bad side. Could you imagine living that kind of a life that you're being criticized? You're, no, no one is really appreciating what he's doing. He's willingly laying down his life for his country. As a matter of fact, most people don't know this, but in 1938, he was in the, he was in the United States, and people said, don't go back to Germany. War is about ready to break out. And Bonhoeffer said, how can I remain in the United States in comfort and watch my people in Germany suffer? And I'm not suffering with them because there'll be a day when the war comes to an end, and I need to be there. I need to walk through the pain so that I can help them afterwards. And you know, he never made it. 
because eventually he was apprehended. He was found, he committed treason, and he, he was hanged one month before the war came to an end. That's kind of a sad story in some ways, but yet it was a courageous story. <clears throat> you say, why am I telling us this story? Because it always costs in obeying God. And look at Mary. How many can say to yourself, you know, it's great, oh man, she's now the mother of the Lord Jesus Christ. I was, tell, I was joking with Patty, I said, can you imagine being the mother of God? Can you imagine, Mary and Joseph, these are godly people, but you know, could you imagine raising Jesus? He's, he didn't, he, the Bible says he never sinned. It's really bad when your kid is outshining you in every area of morality, you know? Or else, can you imagine, and the Bible teaches us that, you know, Mary and Joseph had children after Jesus. I know some people don't agree with that, but the Bible teaches that. So they had four brothers and two sisters. They did not like Jesus. You go, why is that? They were threatened by him. I mean, how could, I could just see Mary and Joseph, hey, James, Jude, listen, can't you guys be a little bit more like Jesus? <laughs> I mean, he's perfect, right? I was just going on like that. I said, it's really tough when you got Jesus living in your house. I mean, he really shows you up really quick, you know? So it's not always easy. Even when you got the good stuff happening, it's not always easy. I think we need to understand something. It's more challenging than we realize. So it's so easy to us to say this, like, let somebody else do it, right? You know, it's like Moses. Can you get somebody else to take the assignment on? And God is calling us, and yet so many of us, you know, we say, well, I don't want to pay the price. I don't want to be misunderstood, or I don't want to give up what I enjoy right now. I don't, you know, if I start to do this, that means I have to give up my time. You know, it's inconvenient. It may cost me a lot. And I like this little ditty that goes something like this. There's a clever young guy named somebody else. There's nothing this guy can't do. He's busy from morning till way late at night just substituting for you. You ask to do this, you're asked to do that, and what is your ready reply? Get somebody else to do that job. He'll do it much better than I. So much to do in this weary old world, so much, and workers so few, and somebody else all weary and worn is still substituting for you. The next time you're asked to do something worthwhile, just give this ready reply. If somebody else can give time and support, my goodness, so should I. Boy, is that good? Now, that's a little simplistic. I think there's times when we need to say no to things. I get all of that. You know, I think we need to know, like, yeah, this is how much time I have. You know, I'd love, you know, a lot of times I'm asked to do things and I'm going, man, I'd, I, I wish I could jump in the photocopier and, you know, multiply myself and do more. But that's not what happens. As a matter of fact, what God is, tries to teach us is maybe your job is to develop your other people so that they take on responsibility and so that they're empowered and that they grow. And isn't that even better? You know, so my passion as a pastor is that everybody's involved and everybody's serving and everybody's doing their part, Right? Doesn't that make sense? That's what really what the goal is, isn't it? So we not only have to be available for God, we must be available to him. You go, well, what's the difference? Well, I think there is a big difference. Because before you can really effectively serve others, you better be waiting on God. You better get to know who God is. Because it's out of that that our ministry flows. We must allow God, the Holy Spirit, to come and overshadow our lives. It's the idea of surrendering our will to him. It's the recognition that what he asks of us, we're unable to do apart from his empowerment in our life. We've talked about that. And I already said this text, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. What God wants to do in your life is beyond you. 
That's what I'm trying to tell you today. But don't sweat it. He's living in you. And he wants to do it through you. But you know what the real issue is? We have to be willing. That makes sense to me. I just have to be willing. As a matter of fact, I've already said this earlier. Without me, you can do nothing. We just need to remain in him. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul says it this way to the Ephesians. He says, don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Everything that helps you and I become a more godly person, serve more effectively, be a better husband, be a better wife, be a better kid, you know, be a better parent, it all comes from the Spirit of God. How's that? That's where we need to go. God, I can't do this. You know what's really fun? I, can, I, I actually do this sometimes. I just say, okay, Lord, this is past my pay grade. But if you're asking me to do it, sure, I'll go take a crack at it. You know, we'll, we'll go. If I failed, I'm sorry, I'm letting you down. But you know what I've noticed? God just seems to come through. And, and sometimes when we think we're the worst at something, when we're actually, in our minds, miserably failing, that's maybe many of the times God's using us in the greatest way. Isn't that funny? As a matter of fact, when we are weak, the Bible says then we're strong. When we stop depending on ourselves and start depending on God, God can move more powerfully in and through our lives. Listen to what uh, the scriptures teach here in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. It says, but, but you will receive uh, the Holy Spirit, he says, and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will receive that, that life of God when, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And then you'll be my witnesses. This is what he's telling the apostles. This is what it's all about, guys. He wants us to be the right kind of people with the right kind of life, speaking the right kind of messaging. And then he goes on and warns us, don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. But God has a way of encouraging our lives and showing us it can be done. And I shared this last week in my message. Isn't it interesting that when Mary had this supernatural, miraculous element to her pregnancy, he said, oh, by the way, Mary, you're not the only one. Look what I'm doing to your relative Elizabeth. She's having a miracle in her body too. Can I just tell you something? You're not the only one. God's doing this in all of our lives. He wants to encourage you. His spirit is activated in all of our lives. We just got to say yes to God. You know, unless we're willing to participate with the plan of God, it does not become reality. It takes the power of the Holy Spirit and a willing heart to make things happen in the kingdom of God. So within these two miraculous <clears throat> births of Mary and Elizabeth, <clears throat> excuse me, we see God's plan and purposes unfold. When God chooses us, he's showing us his favor and desires to utilize each of our lives in a distinct way. And it's never too late you're never too old. You're never too young for God to use you. Isn't that beautiful? Mary was a teenager. Elizabeth was well past the age of having children. Isn't that amazing? God uses people from different spectrum. Why is he doing this for us? He's showing us everybody qualifies. That's a child of God. So I'm going to close with some questions here. Number one. Here's your questions. Here's your homework assignment this week. I'm giving you another homework assignment. I hope you worked on last week's, but here's another one. Are we willing to surrender our agendas and our lives to see his purposes accomplished in and through our lives? In other words, we're we going to say, okay, Lord, like Mary, may it be to me even as you've asked me to. I'm your servant. I'll just do it. Okay? Right? Number one, am I willing? That's really the question. Am I willing? Am I willing to give up my rights, lay down my rights, and say, okay, I'll go for it? Number two, are we serving God on his terms 
Or do we have some mistaken notion that we can serve God on our own terms? Because I think this is a problem right now in a lot of people's lives. They're going, yeah, I'll do this when it's convenient for me. You know, there's a parable. Worker comes back in from the field. Jesus tells the parable. He's a slave, right? The slave doesn't walk in the house and the master says, oh, by the way, you've been slaving in the field all day. Fix me dinner. The slave doesn't go, fix it yourself, you lazy turkey. You know? (laughs) I don't read that in my Bible, right? I mean, I think we don't say those words, but I think the attitude comes out sometimes. What do you think? Ah, I think so. No, the, the slave goes in the kitchen, starts making the meal for the master. What, what's that really teaching us? Are we really serving God when we're serving on our terms? Or are we serving ourselves and wanting God to approve and bless us and show us favor? And we're somehow thinking we're earning it. Maybe we need to move away from that wrong concept and say, I've already got the favor and blessing of Almighty God. God's poured his life into me. And whatever God asks me, no matter how difficult and challenging, even to the point that I'm willing to lay down my life, my selfishness, my time, my resources that he's blessed me with, and possibly even my physical life, I'm saying, here my Lord. Because ultimately, I can't lose. Like Jim Elliott once said, he's no fool who, can, who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Do you know what you and I have? We have eternal life. We have eternal life, guys. What are we living for? And number three, are we like Mary, prepared to be misunderstood or criticized because we've obeyed God? That's pretty challenging, isn't it? Let's stand. So how many here say this morning, wow, this Christmas story is a lot more challenging than I realized, and it's got some pretty important practical applications. Anybody notice that? How many see that we can learn from Mary? You know, I think we can really learn from her. She just said, Lord, okay, let's, let's do it. You know, whatever you're asking me to do, I'm willing to do. Wherever that takes me, I'm willing to go. Can I tell you, you're, you'll never grow to become the person God designed unless you're willing to be willing. How many think that totally makes sense, Pastor? Makes total sense to me. So what I'm going to ask us today is how many here are saying, okay, God, I'm going to lay down all my, all my excuses, all my anxieties, all my fears, all my reasons, and I'm just going to go, whatever you want, I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to obey you. I'm just going to do your will. Whatever you're asking me to do, I'm just going to go for it. And I'm going to trust you and allow you to unfold that as we journey through life because you have no idea where God's going to take you. I can, I can look back on my Christian journey and go, no idea God was going to do these things. Do you think when you first start out, God says, oh, by the way, you're going to do this, 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 and this, and I go, forget it. I'm not doing that. That's beyond my pay grade. That's way beyond my scope of understanding. But you know what? If you just walk with God day by day, he'll take you to places you never thought you'd walk. I can guarantee you. All right? So let's pray right now. How many are saying, heads bowed? I'd like to give you a chance to respond. How many here say, okay, Lord, I'm willing? That's you. I'm willing. Raise your hand. I'm willing. See, I got my hands. I got both hands up. Because to me, that speaks of surrender. I'm going to put both my hands up. I'm going to surrender. I don't just going to be willing. I'm surrendering. And Lord, I just pray right now that you would do miracles. These people I'm looking at, they are a miracle to me. This church is a miracle. 
What you're doing right now in the midst of COVID is a miracle. And I just pray right now that, you know what, we will rise up in this hour. We will be so full of the Holy Spirit. We will live in such an amazing way that our words, our actions will point to you. That we will be people not living in fear, but we'll be people walking by faith. Lord, we will be people in obedience to your word, not, not just to you know our rights. We're laying those down, just like you laid your rights down. Help us to live for your honor, for your glory, and to be a blessing to you and to be an instrument in your hands to be a blessing to others. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you as you leave this morning.